tonight I want to talk to you about uh, where we really live. And the title of my message is Inside Your Tent. And your tent is really where you are the real you. You know, maybe that's your home. You know, when, if you guys were to come by my house, 46 East Summer Storm Circle, and I kind of regret saying that right now because <laughs> I might get a little knock on the door, but that's okay. You're all welcome. You're going to see the real Sarah. And I'll peel back the curtain. Chances are, if it's after six o'clock, I will be wearing something that's cotton and something with an elastic waistband. <laughs> that is how we roll at La Casa Stevens. I'll tell you, if there's ever a family like that I haven't seen at church, or maybe, you know, I'm homesick with a baby and I can't make it to church, I always figure that I don't have to wait till next Sunday to catch up with you guys. I will go to Kroger or Walmart or the gas station in black yoga pants and no makeup, and I will see every single one of you there. It's like the bat signal. Oh, Sarah's out in the woodlands without her contacts in. And it's like this like message that gets sent across the woodlands. I will run into all of you guys there because that's my tent. That's where I can let my hair down. That's where I can be myself, where I can get comfortable, you know? And so maybe for some of you, your tent, your home is your tent. That's where you can really be you. Uh, For some of you, it's your place of work. You know, for a lot of us, we spend more time in our offices than we do our own houses. And so your place of work is where you are who you really are. The real you comes out. And so your workplace is your tent. You know, I I have this saying with our team, and, and I've told others, you can only hide crazy for so long. Hot crazy is going to come out. And so if you are funny and you have a sense of humor, that's going to come out at your place of business. If you're angry and you tend to be sarcastic and sharp, that's just a matter of time before that comes out in your tent because the real you is going to come out, you know? So some of you um, are more like your tent is your car. I read in the U.S. Census Bureau, yes, I'm a geek, and I totally love reading U.S. Census Bureau reports. It's an old habit. I can't, I can't let it die. And I, if I need help sleeping, I read U.S. Census Bureau reports. But I was reading that the woodlands, people who live in the woodlands, we have the highest commute times of the entire Houston metro region. And if you have been on 45 South, right past the Hardy Toll Road, there's no wonder. I mean, the average Woodlands resident or spring resident spends two hours a day in their car. You live in your car. And so for a lot of us, our car is our tent, you know, and you've got your music, you've got maybe your little Febreze Scentsy, maybe you've got, you know, a little cup of joe right there where you can reach it. Your radio stations are finely tuned and that is like your sanctuary. That is where you live. And I love it because when I, when I accidentally end up on Research Forest at 5.30 in the afternoon and I pull up in a parking or a uh, stoplight, you always find somebody who's like killing it in their car. Like Shania Twain's got nothing on the chick in the pickup truck beside me because she is like making it happen. She is going to be America's Got Talent. You know what I mean? The next progeny of her voice or whatever. And so I found this clip of a guy who truly is comfortable in his place of work, which also happens to be his vehicle. And I was like, I have got to share that with you guys. So take a look. Thank you. 
an EMT as he is a dancer because I could just see my happy self in the back of that thing saying hey DJ can you get me to the hospital can we like save it for the dance floor and I gotta tell you we, were, we watched this as a team and Pastor Lance is like I don't get it what's what's the big deal I'm like so let me tell you something Pastor Lance rhymes with chance he's got moves that could shame that guy but the guy's just comfortable in his tent. He's letting his hair down. I wonder if he still has a job because that video is viral. So I'm sure his boss is not appreciating the fact that he did wait to the stoplight to break it down and make it crazy. But he's just, that's his tent. That's where he lives. That's where he's being himself. And the deal is that when you and I, us being us without Jesus leads to trouble. And if we can have victory in our tent, where we are who we really are, we can have victory outside our tent. Amen? So we're going to talk tonight about what it takes for us to have victory inside our tent. And what it takes for us to make sure that we're in that safe place where we're letting our hair down, when we're in our stretchy pants, where we are getting our moves on, that we're in a secure place where the enemy's not going to gain a foothold, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, we're in Joshua chapter 7, and I'll give you a little bit of context. The children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, and they've just captured their first city, the city of Jericho. And God was really, really specific with them. He told them how many times to march around, exactly how to do it. You know, we had Rahab and the spies. And he gives them a really, really specific instruction in uh, Joshua 6.19. And he says to them, put all of the silver and gold vessels of bronze and iron, those are consecrated to the Lord, put them in the Lord's treasury. And so everything else goes up in smoke, but those things come to the Lord. And if you were at church on Sunday, I shared that, you know, I thought that I was going to do a little research and find out that the children of Israel ended up conquering like 10 cities because God is really, really good at his math, right? So the first city, all of the treasures, all of the spoils were consecrated to the Lord. Well, you go back and you read in Joshua and Judges, and it turns out that the children of Israel conquered 11 cities. Because God's like, you know what? When you honor me with the first 10%, I make that 90% go further than the 100% could ever have gone. And I give you that token city. So that was his instruction to the children of Israel in Joshua 6, 19. So, hey, all of the, the bronze and the gold and the silver, that, that one comes to me. Well, they conquer uh, Jericho, which because we live here, it's like conquering the city of Houston, like this behemoth city. And then Joshua moves the people to their next target, and it's the city of Ai, easy to spell, Ai, which is like Old Town Spring. So Joshua's like, hey, 
we just took the city of Jericho. Look, two, 3,000 men, we can take the city of Ai. The men go against the city and they get beat like a drum. And they start running back for their lives. Joshua hits his knees and he says, how did we go from taking down walled cities to getting defeated by like an old town spring, by this little city of Ai? And that's where we pick it up in Joshua 7, 1. And it says here that the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zurah, of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So I just want to kind of camp on that verse for a minute, if we could, and kind of like sip the word of God. Because, you know, the word of God is like um, something that you can't just like suck down and really fast, but you kind of just sip at it and savor it, you know, roll it on your tongue and just kind of say, now, Lord, there's a lot of meat in one verse of the Bible. So let me just kind of get everything I'm supposed to get out of this verse. So we're going to camp on this verse for a second. And the first thing that I'll, if you're taking notes, my first point is that individual decisions have corporate consequences. When we're in our tent, which is our place where we can be us, where we feel like we have this like measure of privacy, where we feel like I can, I come here to rest, I come here to relax. Um, We tend to get, the enemy tends to knock on our door and say, hey, because you're in this place that's your tent, your sin, your decision really is only going to affect you because it's in this private place. And the first uh, lie that we have to unmask is that individual decisions have corporate consequences. And so we look at Joshua 7, 1, and there is no mistaking that we've got the right guy. I mean, they tell us who his daddy is. They tell us who his granddaddy is. They tell us who his great-granddaddy is of the tribe of Judah. So we've got the right address. There may have been like 20 Achans in the tribe of Judah, but we've dialed into exactly the Achan that took the accursed things. There's a funny story. There's two Owen Stevens at Powell Elementary School. And I found this out because I went to sign one of them out. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm here to take Owen Stevens home. And they're like, oh, yes, Mrs. Stevens, we'll go get him. And this child comes trotting up, and I said, I'm here to get the other Owen Stevens. (laughs) I'd like to come with the one I brought. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't want to go change pictures in the living room. It's a lot of asshole. (laughs) Although on some days, I'd like to test drive the other one. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's like some days you're like, hey, maybe I do want a lease to own. Maybe this might be nice. But there is no mistaking that we've got the right Aiken. You know, we've got his dad, his granddad. We know exactly who we're looking for. And so you find out that this guy makes this individual decision, and then everyone else is facing the consequence. The children of Israel are paying for this decision. And you see where the enemy isn't all that creative. He runs the same plays over and over and over again. He likes to think that he's the creator. That's what got him in trouble in the first place, right? His pride and his ego. But he's not the creator. 
He's not, he's not creative. He just has this set of plays that he runs again and again and again. And we have the benefit of God's word to see how there's nothing new under the sun. And the things that he gave to Achan, the things that he tempted David with, the things that he even tempted Jesus with are the same things he's going to tempt us with. And so we get to pull the mask off of him. And so David is sitting on his rooftop. He's surveying the city. And the enemy comes to him and says, take a look at Bathsheba. She was beautiful to behold. And David says, you know what? Nobody else is going to get hurt here. I'm the king. I'd like to have her. Go get her for me. The corporate consequence ends up being that a man loses his life, and so does a baby. There's always this corporate consequence. You know, the enemy comes to Eve. There's only one other person in the garden. You know what I mean? So you think corporate consequence. There's only one other person. Sure enough, he comes to Eve. He says, you know, God's holding out on you. You can know as much as God knows. She goes, I think you're right. She takes the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And sure enough, the corporate consequence is that her husband takes it and you have the fall of man. There's always consequence that's corporately shared on an individual decision. And so when the enemy, the next time he comes to you and he says, hey, this is just between you. Nobody else has to know. Nobody else has to pay. We know that's a lie. We know there's always collateral damage. And so you have this guy, Achan, who goes with the troops. He goes with the people of God to, camp, to, to conquer the city of Jericho. And he's walking through the spoils. And he's looking around at things. And he's like, we're leaving this behind? We're leaving this behind? This is good stuff. And the enemy comes to him and says, you know what? Nobody's going to miss a little bit of this. God's got plenty of that. You know what? You've earned this. It took a lot of nerve for you to march around this city seven times with just a horn. You've got, you've got some nerve. God, God'll, God's got plenty. You go ahead. This one can be yours and nobody has to know. And so Achan buys it, takes it back to his tent. And all of a sudden his sin gets found out when they go move against the next city. And this is the deal. When you and I bring sin into our dwelling place, it crowds out the presence of God because he can't dwell where there's sin. There's, there's a finite amount of, of sphere that we have and we can entertain the glory of God, the presence of God, or we can entertain other things, but there's no fellowship between light and darkness. Amen. And so Achan brings this stuff in and the spirit of God actually has to lift and depart from the children of Israel. And that's what he tells Joshua in Joshua seven. He says, look, I left. I'm not there anymore. Get up off your knees, tell the people to consecrate themselves, and I'm going to come meet with you tomorrow. And that's what they do in Joshua 7. So I I went to, just so you guys know my background, my parents were Pentecostal holiness. I grew up in an Assemblies of God church. I went to a Baptist college, and I married a Methodist man. So NIV, KJV, whatever it's got to be, I am in. You know what I mean? Like, I've got you covered. I can be like Paul, all things to all men. And so I was growing up in Sunday school and in college. You know, they drill this scripture verse in your heads. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14. And you guys probably know it. But it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? I was always taught that this scripture verse was all about marriage and dating, right? This is what they told everybody so you wouldn't date the guy 
who wasn't in the youth group. Like, let's be honest with each other, you know what I mean? And those guys were always cuter. Let's just be honest. I'll tell, let me just, since I'm here and our pastor's not, so let me just tell you a story. So I was in college, Baptist college, and my car broke down one day. And I drew, drove this like little beat up Jetta, you know, where fifth gear is actually like up here instead of down here. And it had the sunroof where you had to turn it like this. Is anybody hearing me? Like, you know what I'm talking about. I was hot stuff, let me tell you. And so my car broke down on the side of the road in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I was like, man, I can't get my car to start. And I saw a body shop. And so, you know, I called the number on the sign. And the owner says, hey, I'm going to send my son out. I'm going to see if he can fix your car for you. I was like, that'd be great. I appreciate it. Thank you. He's like, yeah, you know, if you were my daughter, I'm just going to do you a favor. You know, let me just see if my son can get it fixed. His son pulls up on a hog of a motorcycle. Baptist, Pentecostal race, Sunday school attending Baptist college girls like this. Not in the youth group. Let me tell you something. Not in the youth group. I'm at a fork in the road. What is God's will for my life? And what will my hair feel like going 60 miles an hour in the back of that bike? I'm here to tell you that I have a burn on the inside of my calf that tells you I took the road less traveled and that has made all the difference. But no, he's like, hey, you know, I'm trying to fix your car. He's like, you want to go for a ride on my bike? I'm in like jean cutoffs and an old t-shirt and flip-flops. Bike wear, right? This is what you wear on the back of a motorcycle. Of course, I heard my mom's voice in my head. Do you have a helmet? Oh yeah, yeah, I got a helmet. I was like, perfect. I'm safe, you know? jump on the back of this guy's bike, and we end up all over Lynchburg, takes me back to campus, and my roommate sees me coming up the sidewalk, and she's got that look. Like, I'm like, my mama called you, didn't she? The Holy Spirit has ratted me out to my mother, and she has gotten on the line with you. My roommate comes up. I'm getting off the bike, and I hear... I learned where the manifold is on a hog motorcycle, but I'm cool, right? Because he's not in the youth group and I'm trying to get him to come to church, right? So he's like, did you hurt yourself? I'm like, oh no, I'm good. I don't know what that smell is. Mm, Yeah, I'm good to go. (laughs) Walk, Walk back to my dorm room. Smile as big as Texas on my face. My roommate's like, what are you doing? Do you know that guy? It's like, no, isn't that wonderful? God is so good. You know, the hair, your hair feels amazing going 65 miles an hour down the road. You went all over the city with him. It's like, yes, it was beautiful. And he's not in the youth group. You know what I mean? So I don't know why I told you that story and why I ratted myself out. And my husband's out of town. So I don't know why I told that story. (laughs) No, but I say that to say, what fellowship is there with light and darkness? I'm going to bring it back. It's not always about marriage. It's not just about being yoked that way. But there are habits that we bring into our tent. There are business relationships that we get yoked to. There are friendships that we get yoked to that just really compete with the presence of God in our lives. They compete with the space we have in our tent, the space we have in in our lives to be able to entertain the things of God. And so when we sit there, we have to, to make this decision. 
that the things we bring in our tent do have collateral damage, and there is a consequence for it. And I was, I've been studying First John in this uh, Bible study, and I'll, I'll be really honest, the reason I wanted to do First and Second and Third John was because I thought, man, I'll knock out three books in the Bible for the price of one study. This is a bargain. But I've been digging into it, and I ran across this scripture, 1 John 1, 5 through 8, when we're talking about what do we bring into our tent, what do we yoke ourselves with? And it's, it's, a, it's a hunk of scripture, and we're going to sip on it, and it says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light... We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Now, this is where I'm getting excited, and we're going to break it down. Because you can't talk about sin and what you bring in your tent without talking about the remedy. Amen? So we sit here and I'm looking at John and I'm like, what is this, this juxtaposition? I, I can't claim to walk with God and have darkness and sin in my life. Okay, I've got it. I've got to get the sin out. Well, then John says, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. And the truth of God is not in you. And I'm like, well, this is a fine kettle of fish. I can't have sin in my life. And say I walk with God, but if I say I don't have sin, I'm a liar, and the truth of God is not in me. So it's like I've got this contradiction sandwich where I've got the bun on top, fellowship with God means no sin, and then the bun at the bottom, which says if you're without sin, you're a liar. So what's the meat in between? And this is the part that gets me excited. It says that the blood, the the in-between sentence says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love this analogy that Pastor Frankie used, and I'm going to use it too. It says that this is Sarah. If she if she has sin, she can't walk with me. If she says she doesn't have sin, she's a liar because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how I get Sarah in her state to have perfect fellowship with me and to walk in the light is that I put Jesus all over Sarah and I cover her with the blood of Jesus and that cleanses her from her unrighteousness. And now like Jude one twenty four says, he is able to present you faultless before God because he has covered you with his own blood. So that is how we wed the two statements. Yeah, you know, we've all have sin. We all have sin. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And now we're covered and we can be presented faultless. Amen? So we get here to where I've been pondering this question where like, if God is omnipotent and he already knows what I've done, why do I have to tell him what he already knows? You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of wasting his time. Like when I go to confess my sin, I'm like, hey, you saw that thing at 2.30, right, Lord? (laughs) Yada, 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 we're covered, right? It's kind of like talking to your insurance agent. I kind of sort of broke... Um, I backed into this car and uh, I don't want to finish the rest of the statement. This is the deal. We confess our sin 
And the Lord says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin because the act of confession makes your flesh agree with a holy God. So he's cleansing your spirit, but then it whips your flesh into submission. The word confession in Greek is two words, and it's homos legos, to say the same. When I confess my sin, my flesh has to say the same thing about sin that a holy God says about sin. My flesh has to sit there and submit itself to a holy God, and it gives my flesh the perspective it needs to submit itself to a holy God. So when you're sitting there and you're like, God, you know what? I don't know why I have to confess this. I don't know why I have to be specific. Be specific with God because being specific with God specifically gets your flesh under the blood of Jesus Christ and submitting itself. That's why confession, it says in the last days, it says every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. It's not enough for us to bow to his lordship, but there will be a time of confession where our our flesh kneels before a holy God and says, you were right and I was wrong. I cannot go on in this state. I have to have a holy God. Forgive me. In Jesus' name, forgive me. So that is why we have to confess our sin and we don't just gloss over it. You know, I, I pray like this sometimes, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Amen. We have to pray like this. Lord, you see that I struggle with a spirit of jealousy. God, you see that I do not have mercy on my neighbor. And God, those are things that are not pleasing to you. And I confess them and I ask them for your help in those areas. I've exposed my flesh to the holiness of God. I've said the same things that a holy God says. And now he can sear it and he can clean it and make me whole. And so that's our first thing. The things we bring into our tent, individual decisions have corporate consequences, but the good news is confession takes the consequence and puts it on God's terms. You know, Jeannie Mayo, who's coming June 8th, she has this great turn of phrase, and she says that sin is like a warrant, like a warrant for your arrest, that the devil serves at his most opportune time. He decides when he's going to serve you with that warrant. You know, just like the process servers who chase people all over town. They pick the most inopportune time to serve you with that warrant. Well, when we confess our sins, we take the warrant right out of his hand because God's put the blood of Jesus on it. And he's like, the warrant has no standing. She's been covered. She's been forgiven. She's been made whole. You have nothing to accuse her of. She's forgiven. Amen. That's a good time to clap. Praise God. Well, my next point, I'm going to need a little help to illustrate. And so I'm wondering if there's some folks who can help me. And Isaiah, do you think your team could help me? They kind of sit on the front row. They may not after this Sunday or this Wednesday. (laughs) They may choose differently. But you guys, come on up here. Thank you so much. And what I'll need you to do is like just kind of space yourselves like a foot apart, like just all across here. So maybe like two on this side. And then if two of you can come over here. And what I need you to do is I need you to take your shoes off. If you could do that. And I brought some Lysol. Don't be afraid. It's okay. I'm prepared. Yeah. Good deal. Take those shoes off. And then I want you to hold them on the ends of your fingers, one shoe in each hand, like a little bit up. Yeah. Oh, the low. That is not the Holy Spirit if I fall out. You know what I'm saying? 
just like that. I love it. That's perfect. Just up a little higher. Yep. Just like you're offering it. Yep. Perfect. You are a manly man. You are very secure in your masculinity. I see no socks here. Is that like an artist thing? Is that? Yes. I love it. Your toes look very good, Catherine. Yes. Yes, they made you. I don't know. They may stop serving on the worship team. Yes, your socks match. Good choice tonight, Crystal. That's very good. Yes, I can see. We just need to take a love offering for... Yes, that would be great if we could just take a love offering for socks for this gentleman. Hold them up a bit higher, just a bit higher. Okay, so these guys are going to hold their shoes for a bit. So here's the thing. And also, I should thank you now for volunteering. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. And Pastor Frankie will be back on Sunday. You can tell him all about it. So so you're going to hold your shoes out. And this is the deal. The enemy comes to us with two lies. The first one we just talked about. You know, your sin will only affect you. It can stay in your tent. The other lie he comes to us with, and this is my second point, your sin is something you can manage. Your sin is something you can manage. You can handle this. You don't need to worry about this. This is something that you can control. You can damage control this. We can work this out. And this is the deal. We, we skip down in Joshua 7, if you've got your Bibles, just keep your arms up. There you go. Keep them up. Keep them up. I think the women are going to outshow you guys. Let's get, oh, there you go. Good deal. I guess this all, we get to find out if your feet or anything else stinks. Because it's right, keep your arms up. Yeah. All right, so we go, we go to Joshua 7, uh, 21. And we're going to hear where Achan, uh, Achan confesses his sin. And it says, when I saw among the spoils of a, if they put their arms down, y'all tell me, because I can't read and keep an eye on them. So you guys like rat them out, like the Holy Spirit ratted me out to my mother on the back of a motorcycle. So you guys, I need your help on that. All right. Achan tells Joshua, he says, when I saw the spoils of a beautiful Babylonian garment to, do you guys want me to read faster? You guys okay? Oh, take your time. You're good. 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold wearing 50 shekels. Isn't it amazing how the enemy comes to you and he tells you exactly what things are worth? He doesn't tell you what they cost, but he tells you what they're worth. A Babylonian garment. I'm serious here, guys. This is like, (laughs) this is, you, this is the thing. Their shoes are not too heavy. They wear them on their feet all the time, right? It's not like they're holding dumbbells. So the enemy will tell you what things are worth, but not what they cost. Okay. I coveted them. This is Achan. I coveted them and took them, and they are hidden in the earth of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and went there and saw what was hidden in the tent with the silver under it. And they took everything from the midst of the tent, brought it to Joshua and the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. So here's the thing. After all these years, the, the pattern is always the same. I desired something. I wanted it. Are you guys staying strong? Are you staying strong? Keep your arms up. Stay strong. You guys sing every day in church. I know your arms are strong. Y'all are lifting them every worship service. You guys can do this. You got it. Come on, girl. There you go. The recipe is still the same after all these years. I desired something. (laughs) I wanted something. I took it and then I hid it. And this is the deal. When the enemy comes to us, (laughs) 
When the enemy comes to us and he says, hey, you can manage the consequence of your sin. It's like us trying to wear our shoes on our hands. We'll manage it for a season. Our, our shoes are not too heavy. We put them on our feet all the time. But eventually, you guys remember what I said, how the crazy comes out? We can manage a situation only so long <laughs> before it looks like our arms are going to fall off. And that's the way it is with our sin. We were never meant... It's so funny. Crystal said, don't stand close to me now because I broke a sweat. I broke a sweat, Sarah. (laughs) We can manage our sin for so long. And then eventually, just like these guys, our arms fall off and we break. Let's, Let's give them a hand. Let's give them a hand. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. They, I hope they stay. Oh, that was a nice Michael Jackson move, Keith. He just slid off the stage like that. The deal, I really love that analogy because two things. One, we think we've got this situation under control. And for a season, you might have it under control. But eventually, you're going to collapse under the weight of something that you were never meant to bear. Flesh cannot fix flesh. We are not made to bear our own sin. Only one person who's ever walked on this planet was able to bear sin, and he bore it on the cross, and he conquered it, and his blood makes us clean of it, and he rose from the grave. And now we face this decision of whether or not we're going to kill ourselves managing our sin, or are we going to confess it and put it at the feet of Jesus where it belongs? Achan had this terrible, terrible consequence. He lost his life. He forfeited his life because he took the enemy's lies that the sin could stay in his tent and that he could manage his own sin. It was just a matter of time. You know, there are two camps of people, I feel like, in our room tonight and and in this sermon. And I've been praying for you all week while I put this together. And I feel like the, the illustration applies to both camps. In the first camp, you're trying to manage your sin, and you're doing about as well as these guys were, holding your shoes on your hands. Some days are better than other days. Sometimes you get a break from, from the chaos of it. But at the end of the day, you're bound because you can't get this weight shifted to a manageable part. You know what? God's here and he's like, you know what? You don't have to to bear it. I've already borne it. The greatest lie of the enemy is to make us pay for something that's already been bought. That we sit here and we confess it and then the warrant's out of his hand and the sin's out of our arms and we feel a freedom. When Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he means freedom from our sin, freedom from the weight that we bear from it. So that's the first camp tonight. And the second camp, I feel like there's a, a, a group of people as I was praying for you, and I've been praying for our congregation for four weeks, and the scripture verse just keeps coming up in my spirit. And Pastor Frankie shared it from the pulpit a couple of times just in passing. And it's, uh, it's in Matthew 11. And it's uh, verse 28, and it's in the New Living Translation. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give is light. There's this second camp of people that you've stacked a ton of good things on your shoulders. You've stacked a ton of good things on your cart, but because they didn't come from the hand of God, they're out of season. And they're a burden to you and not a blessing. God had spoils in store for the children of Israel. They were going to go on to conquer 11 cities. But the spoils from Jericho were out of season. And Achan took something out of season, something very good, gold and silver and fine fabric. And he took it out of season and brought it into his house. And that's when a good thing turns out to be a sin thing. Because Romans says that anything not of faith is sin. And so many of us, we end up putting good things in our cart that we're pulling. But because they didn't come from the hand of God, they're a burden to us and not a blessing. Proverbs 10 says that the Lord, I'm trying to remember it, the Lord brings blessing and he adds no sorrow to it. That's our litmus test. If something's from the hand of God, did it come with a measure of sorrow, then that good thing was not a God thing. And it's chafing me and it's blistering me and it's heavy and I cannot manage it. And tonight God's here to say, look, put it at my feet. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm so blessed to work across the street from my kids' elementary school. And so every day I wave on the sidewalk and they come running across and meet me in the parking lot. And the first thing I do is I put my arm around and I'm like, hey, how was your day? This is, you're ready to rock these math facts. Oh my gosh, a happy visit, high five. And when I read that verse, that's what I see Jesus doing. Take my yoke. My burden is light learn from me. He's putting his arm around us. He's like, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Let me tell you how I do it. Just like we tell our kids, you're having a hard time with that boy at school. Let me tell you what mommy did to make friends. You're having a hard time explaining that to your teacher. Let me show you how to do it. I love that the word says that God tells us that he's lowly and meek and gentle. That's exactly the kind of teacher I want to learn from. Not the teacher that screams direction at me and makes me feel silly for falling or asking a question, but the teacher who says, learn from me. See how I do this. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Let me show you how this is done. And that's the second camp, I feel like. Some of us, we've just got to get back in the habit of confessing. We've just got to make our flesh agree with the holy God to say the same thing about sin that God says about sin. And then others of us, we've just got a cart full of stuff that's good stuff, but it's got a lot of sorrow with it because it didn't come in the right season and we took it out of season and we thought we could manage it. We thought we could hide it under our tent, but we thought wrong. So tonight, I want to open up this altar. Isaiah's going to lead us in a worship song. We're going to entertain an atmosphere of worship. And I want to encourage you to look at your shoes and to ask yourself, am I wearing them on my feet or am I wearing them on my hands? And every time you put your shoes on in the morning, 
Make it prompt in your spirit. Lord, is there anything I need to get straight with you? Because I don't want to warrant out. I don't want to walk under this chafing and this blistering. And tonight, this altar is for that purpose. For you to meet with your God and get your shoes back under your feet where they belong. For sin to be under your feet. Because you've conquered it in Jesus' name. To put yourself in the cloak of his holiness. And then for others of you, man, you're just tired. You are just plumb tired because you've been dragging a cart full of stuff that didn't come from his hand. And this altar is a place where you can just lay that back at his feet and say, Lord, I'm taking you up on your altar. Your offer says that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Sign me up because I've been doing it my way. And I got to tell you, I can't take another blister. I can't take another splinter. I'm going to drop from exhaustion. 